Hello, and welcome to Season 1, Episode 9 of the number one podcast in the world for Baby Boomin. Baby Boomin with Warren. It's number one, and I also have an asterisk next to it, with most appearances by a talking horse, Mr. Ed. We've got it all today. A surprise secret guest and a lot more. And as always, a great review from Podcasting News of the World, which have now said about us, Baby Boomin' with Warren is the most important entertainment vehicle since the Brady Bunch five-year run ended. This got me very interested in the final Brady episode. How did the Brady Bunch end? And under what circumstances and why? Was Alice kidnapped by Sam the Butcher and chopped up and end up as a Tuesday meat special? Or did the critics smell blood when they brought in Cousin Oliver due to sagging ratings? Either way, the end was near. The last episode aired March 8th, 1974. It was at the end of the Brady's fifth year. On a personal note, as the Brady's future looked bleak, so did mine, as it was 25 days until I took my all-important New Jersey driver's license test, and I was driving worse than ever. My life was running parallel to the Brady's both soon to end in disaster. As I was practicing for the driver's ed test, I was hitting garbage cans, knocking over fences, and I could steer anywhere but straight. There was tension in Bradyland as well. As the theme song goes, here's the story. They all had signed five-year contracts that were ending and the network did not want to put a lot of money into a show with sagging ratings. Everyone was looking for a raise. Even Sam the Butcher had his greedy meat paws out. Cousin Oliver was not helping ratings, and he sulked alone in the food commissary. Things like Bobby's voice changing. They didn't even know how to dress him at that point. Everything was going wrong in Bradyland, but the biggest troublemaker of them all was the patriarch of the Brady Bunch, Mike Brady, real name Robert Reed. He disliked and wanted to change every script. The writers and others really didn't like working with him. He wanted scripts on the level of Brady on a hot tin roof, Searching for Brady, and even a tale of two Bradys. The final episode was titled The Hairbrained Scheme. I think it had a great plot. Bobby sells hair tonic, but the only one he sells is one bottle to Greg. And Greg's hair turns orange right before high school graduation. I like the thought of that. Robert Reed didn't. He complained so much that it wasn't realistic that Sherwood Schwartz, the show's producer, called Clairol to see if this was 
uh, possible. And they said hair color miscues happen often, but Robert kept complaining. And again, my life was paralleling the Brady Bunch. As I trained for drivers for the driver's test, I still couldn't parallel park, couldn't drive straight, and had trouble turning. But outside of that, I was ready to go. Trouble was brewing on both fronts. Robert Reed complained so much that they wrote him out of the final episode. Rumor has it that if the show continued, he would have been permanently written off or they would have pulled a bewitched, which is when they had Dick York replace Dick Sargent without any explanation. They could have been the other way around. I'm always confused whether it was Dick York or Dick Sargent, but I digress. They changed Darren's. But Robert Reed on the final episode showed up anyway, and the show's producers were furious. They removed him from the set, but gently. They didn't want to traumatize the kids. And on that parallel note, my driving got worse. Also, I don't like it when actors fight for a part, audition. There are probably hundreds and thousands that want the part. And then once they get it, like Robert Reed, want to change everything. As much as I love the monkeys, they were the same way. A lot of people auditioned. The show's premise was simple. They were a rock band, but in real life, most of them couldn't play. The great songs were written by people like Tommy Boyce and Bobby Hart. Those two and others did the greatest Monkees songs. But like everyone else, the Monkees wanted to do their own music. And of course, you rarely hear an original written by a monkey today. Bad songs then, bad songs now. But I digress. The contracts were up. The pain in the ass, Robert Reed constantly kept complaining. Cousin Oliver, which became a term when the show was, or TV shows and that were dying, you bring in some long lost cousin, but he was too little, too late. Thanks to a big part, Robert Reed was out, the whole show was out, the entire cast was out. Sadly, Alice. Tiger the dog, Sam the butcher, everyone, including the pain in the ass Robert Reed, was canceled. And as the Brady Bunch crashed, I failed my driver's test. In New Jersey, it's a big important thing, and I lashed out at everyone, and I even failed the attitude part of the test. Well, everything has a beginning, middle, and end, And a few weeks later, I took and passed the test and, not bragging, became one of the greatest parallel parkers on the planet. I don't want to bore you, but one time coming into New York City, there was probably two inches in front of me, two inches behind me, and I managed to get into this spot that they should have filmed it for some type of TV show. But again, I digress. Next part of the show is coming up. So hold on. Let's keep going. Baby Boomin' with Warren 
Next on the show, surprise, surprise guest, world acclaimed dating guru, the great love debate. Let's give a baby booming hand to Brian Howie in the house, dating royalty. Hold on. Come on, guys. You can do a little bit. Dating oh, royalty. That's it. That's it. Brian, how are a, you? I hear a pitter patter of applause. I'm good. How are you? Good, good, good. I've got some hardball questions and some softball questions. Are you ready, my friend? I'm ready. Okay. First, tell us a little bit uh, out in podcast land about yourself so we all know who Brian Howie is. Well, I know you introduced me as a, a dating guru. A, I've been called a dating influencer. I've been called a dating provocateur. I've been called, but mostly I'm just a curious person who um, about eight years ago started a live touring comedy show about love, dating, and relationships called The Great Love Debate. It has since gone to uh, 137 cities and 13 countries around the world. That came from a book that I wrote called How to Find Love in 60 Seconds, which was a semi-satirical look at dating. And all of that turned into the podcast, The Great Love Debate with Brian Howie, which is the world's number one dating relationship podcast. And I always say that my job is to raise the questions, not necessarily provide the answers, but because we've been doing this a long time, I think we have some of the answers. Sounds good. I'd say a lot of number ones here. I'm the number yes. one po podcaster as far as in the whole world about baby booming. Yep. And I'm also number one with baby booming and appearances by Mr. Ed. But I digress here. Here is the first question, Brian Howie. Yes. You're in Florida a lot. You have some offices here. Have mm -hmm. you heard from Tom Brady or Giselle Bunchton? And if you haven't, what dating advice would you give them? Well, if I'm Tom Brady, I tell him that he's got to make a choice. He's either got to choose the football or he's got to choose the ladies because nobody wants to play second fiddle to him at this point. Like enough is enough. He needs to make a choice. And I don't blame Giselle um, for, for having, having enough, but I also don't blame him that if he took six weeks off back in January and said, this household with the kids and everything is not for me, I want to go back to football. So be it, you know, um, I'm not sure, uh, you know, if he's exactly Florida's most eligible bachelor right now, but I think he will be not hurting for choices. Well, ladies, full disclosure, I'm taken already, so I'm out of that category. <laughs> and enough with Tom. Any advice for Giselle? Uh, Giselle needs to date somebody who's not famous. I'm surprised they lasted as long as they did. I think it's really hard for two famous people with their own careers and empires to make it work. Props to them for making it work as long as they did. I mean, they stayed together about 15 years, so good for that. But I think... They both need to find somebody um, who isn't equally or more famous than the other one is. And you can argue about which one is the more famous one. And you could also argue about which one is the wealthier one, which is very unusual, which is probably why their divorce went relatively quickly. She was probably like, I'll take mine, you take yours, and that's the end of the day. It's probably called an ironclad <laughs> prenup, but I agree. Um, well, when they started, she was probably richer. You're right. But she's continued to make, you know, 40 million a year for the last 20 years. So I don't know. I think she probably still is richer. That's a good point. I think she is. Okay. Let's... Yeah. Which is 
which is unusual for two people to have that level of wealth at sort of an equal uh, plane. Yeah, I don't have that problem. I'm making about $12 an hour. My <laughs> wife is making nine, so it's in the there close you go. Range, But uh, That's love. McDonald's has promised me a raise, so we'll see what happens. Okay. But th- this go is ahead. baby booming. And baby booming questions. And baby booming question number one. How has dating changed from 70, the 70s, 80s, and 90s till now? Brian, the mic is well, yours. Well, um, the great Hugh Hefner once pointed out very um, presciently that there was a time, there was a 20-year period in this country, 1964 to 1984, between the invention of the pill and the onset of AIDS, that that 20-year period was the greatest love dating relationship time that this country has ever seen and possibly ever will see. And I thought about that a lot. And I thought about the people that I know who were around in the, in the late sixties, summer of love and were around in the seventies and nobody had anything bad to say about any of those times. It was happier. It was freer. It was funner. It was all of those things. You know, you, you talk to people who were dating during that time and they weren't so hung up on some of the issues and the fears and the apprehensions and all the things that we started to get involved in in the eighties and nineties. And now we're worse than ever. So I think that, you know, his philosophy on that was there's a 20 year run. And I think he was right. I got you. No, it does seem to make sense. Then we moved into the next age, which I have missed, but here's a couple good questions in that. At least I think so in that. So much of dating seems to be the internet and digital photos. I miss that era. But tell me, have you ever been on a date or what's the protocol if you show up on the date, but the picture of either the man or woman doesn't even come close for usually the worst but you tell me, what's the proper Well, protocol? I don't think that's any different than what we used to do because our protocol used to be that we met each other drunk at one o'clock in the morning and then the first date was a sober version of that person and it wasn't necessarily as good as we remembered it either. So we have been dealing with that a long time. People say now like, oh, it's a, a culture of swiping. People swipe on apps 50 times. We used to walk around the bar 50 times. It was the same. So I'm not somebody who thinks technology is made things radically different when it comes to dating. It still comes down to that face-to-face encounter. And a lot of times we were, this person who showed up either wasn't what we remembered or wasn't who we imagined them to be. But the difference is now people want to move on to the next before the appetizer comes. They want to move on to the next in 15 minutes. We used to give that moment, that encounter, that dinner, that date, a fair shot. And that's what's changed. That's what's really changed is how quickly we are to pull the emergency lever um, when we think we don't like somebody. And I think we need to do a better job of that, of giving people an opportunity and giving the moment an opportunity to sort of work through the ick. All good points. And on that note, for a first date, the age-old question, who should pay? And since I know you know a lot about food, what food as well is good for a first date? Okay, I'll answer the first part first. He should pay. He wants to pay. 
she wants him to pay this idea that, uh, you know, sociologically we have changed. Well, physiologically we have not changed. We are still wired the same way. He wants to pay. She wants him to pay to pay. If she offers to pay, that tells him one of three things, none of them good. That either means this isn't a date or it means we're not going to do this again, or it means I don't want to owe you anything. None of those things are good. He doesn't want her $45. He wants her appreciative thank you. That goes a lot farther. So he pays. All right. Second part yep, Second part of that you asked is what kind of food? Uh, a good, good date food should be something that should be shared. Sushi takes some negotiation and what we're going to order requires some edamame, things that are shared. Uh, a lot of people don't like to go to the melting pot, but I think fondue is a great dating thing. Things where you have to use your hands, things that you have to share. Nachos are a good dating thing. Um, you see the etiquette. If somebody pulls the, that chip and they grab 90% of the cheese, how they handle that moment, that tells you a lot. Tells you a lot about how they're going to be in a relationship. So things that are shared, things where you use your hands, things where you can have a good time. And if the waiter says, would you like to see a dessert menu? Guys, she absolutely wants to see a dessert. Boy, you are clear. Good advice there. All right. Here's the tough one. Kissing, don't kiss. How do you feel it out on the first date, uh, Brian? What's your advice there? Uh, Go for it. That, okay. that's, that's always my advice. Go for it. Okay. If she's feeling it, she wants you to go for it. And if she's not going for it, isn't going to make a difference. You're better off to go for it. Yeah. No. Well, you are clear. Hug, hug on the way in, kiss on the way out. Ooh, sounds good. Where were you in 1975? <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah. And on that note, let me ask you a question, which years ago wouldn't have come up. What advice uh, do you give gay people, lesbian people, transvestites? Are there any dating differences between the straight world or whatever? What's your thoughts there? You'd be be surprised because we have done uh, versions of the great love debate. We have done them for um, the college community. We've done it for the gay community. We've done it for the Asian community. We've done Jewish. We've done every possible version of it. And if you printed out the transcripts to all of them, they're pretty much the same. They are, it always comes down to confidence and communication. So if you can increase your confidence and you can improve your communication, things are always going to be better. Now, that being said, the things that tend to break up straight couples, gay couples tend to laugh at. They're like, oh, he checked out another guy. Of course he did. Like, they're not so hung up. The long time in a relationship, gay couples always seem happier to me than the straight couples because they tend to not get too bogged down in the bullshit. All right. And more good points than that. That does kind of make uh, good sense. Not just in the dating world and that, but I know you had mentioned it earlier. You wanted to mention about technology. What technology did you see changing? uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. I don't know if it's changed, but I, 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 so we put a man on the moon in the sixties. Okay. Yes. And in the last, you know, 20 years, you couldn't even name all the technology that didn't exist that we have now, but somehow between like 1971 and 1990, we pretty much had the microwave and the VCR. And that's about it. We kind of stalled out 
technologically during that 20 year period, which encompasses a lot of the baby boomers. Why do you think that is? And have you thought about that? Is there another invention that really changed life between 1970 uh, and 1990 that you can think of? Because then in the 90s, the internet, cars always existed. You know, the 90s, you know, the internet came into play and then everything went on from there. And, you know, where we are now with phones and apps and all kinds of things. The the 50s and 60s, obviously, a lot came out of post-war. But for some reason, I believe the 70s and the 80s, life was pretty much the same in 1974 as 1984. And you can't say this life is the same 2004 as 2022, you know? You are right, but I'm hoping there's a comeback. My favorite was the fax machine and one of the great moments in technology. I used to run one for a law firm is it used to take 30 minutes, then 20 minutes to send one page and someone should do a funny (laughs) documentary when it went down to like three minutes, but... I missed the fax machine. Any chance, Brian, that could have a comeback because not only did you get the phone ringing, but you got a hard copy right then. Any chance of the fax machine coming back? I think what killed the fax machine was not necessarily its usefulness. It was nobody could get on the same page, no pun intended, about which side went up, about which side of it was up. Okay. And if there was a standard for that, I think we would have stuck with with the fax machine. I think we I think we bailed on the fax machine because that fundamental question, which side is up? Yeah. Nobody could figure it out. It never bothered me though. If it came in that <laughs> upside down, that was fine. But it's how you but it's yeah. how you send it out. Like good point. You, people sent a lot of blank faxes. They did. Yeah. And not only <laughs> that that question that any chance there could be a fax machine convention where you bring a fax machine and you have contests who could send 20 pages the fastest? Um, well, you know, um, the, the fax machine, I always, I always bring things back to, to dating. The fax machine as a means of communication never had any play in the dating world. It never, if you asked somebody out by fax, you couldn't really break up with them by fax. You couldn't really two people did. Write, there was write poetry yeah. by fax. Um, Sylvester Stallone famously broke up with his wife That's by right. FedEx, but not fax. I don't know. Fax didn't really have a, have a play in our uh, yeah. emotional day-to-day life. And that's what killed the fax. To me, it did. And I'd love that convention. One of the great things would be, say you met another guy at the fax thing and just wanted to have a friendly lunch. Send up a fax. Hey, I'll meet you downstairs. It might take an hour, but it <laughs> well, would be Well, the fun. problem with that is yeah. too many, too many faxes are shared. And you might get the wrong guy. It's not personal. It's it's an impersonal uh, piece of technology. So RIP fax machine. Uh, It's sad to hear on that, but could be a fun way to meet new people. All right. (laughs) I'm ready now to go to the famous baby boomer lightning round. Do you have your seatbelt on, Brian? I do. I'm strapped in, locked and loaded. Okay. Name an iconic movie or TV show. World famous that you've never watched, like me. I've never seen Star Wars or watched an episode of Friends. The the Big Lebowski. The Big Lebowski. Wow, you've never seen that. Okay, and is there a... There's uh, a lot of references to it. I kind of get it. Never seen it. It's like me. I've heard Friends is something about a coffee shop, but I don't know much more (laughs) than that. All right. That's about it, yeah. All right. Big Lebowski. There you go. 
Music growing up, Brian Howie, what did you like now and back then? It's the same. I like the uh, 70s uh, singer-songwriter stuff, which has had a new incarnation of sort of yacht rock. I liked it then. I like it now. You got to be more specific, Brian, please. Well, I don't know. Um, Seals and Croft, um, Doobie Brothers, um, Jackson Brown, um, you know, one guy with a guitar from the 70s. Like, you know, I believe that the 70s had the greatest... um, impact of music ever because it had all kinds of things. It had hard rock. It had, um, glam rock. It had, like mm-hmm. I said, the, the singer songwriter stuff, and it also had disco. There was a lot going on in the seventies, especially with but disco, the, especially with disco. But, um, you know, the stuff that came out of the seventies that, that, um, was one or two people with a guitar. That's, I liked it then. I like it now. Sounds good. Although, although we- the first album I ever bought was probably kiss. All right, that counts for something. And give me now, I'm not sure we're going to go to many concerts together, but um, give me one or two of your all-time favorite albums, and you got to be specific, please. My all-time favorite album um, is probably um, Damn the Torpedoes, Tom Petty. All right, good choice, good choice. And what's one of the favorite? Greetings from Asbury Park, uh, Bruce Springsteen. Can you believe I'm from Asbury Park, and uh, I'll probably lose a few listeners, but the biggest phony in rock right there is Bruce Springsteen, and I'm the biggest Asbury Park guy in the world. But um, (laughs) I digress. Why why is he a phony? Because he's not the working man he claims to be? Well, if you add that, I've worked more days in a factory than he has. He's in charge of the tickets at Ticketmaster. He dictates to them, you're close to being a billionaire. Do you really need to charge up to 4500 And it is him yeah. a ticket. Yeah, that, in Jersey, is, I, I have a whole list, as I mentioned yeah. earlier in that, about drivers, uh, licenses, God knows what age. Um, he didn't get his license, his whole thing. How could you... Thing of, uh, sing about these things and you haven't really experienced them, but I'm a lowly worker in that and he's close to a billionaire in that. So uh, what can I say? Um, yeah. In that note, let's go on. Baby Boomin, seatbelt on, favorite TV shows growing up. Well, that's another thing. We used to not have seatbelts on. Remember that? Of course. It was very normal to not wear your seatbelt. And then somewhere along the line, they had those cars that sort of forced you to wear them. You're right. <laughs> now we wear them. Uh, favorite TV show growing up. Or shows. Um, that's a good question because um, I spent uh, a good deal of my childhood in Paris where I didn't have a lot of, ch- a lot of TV. Um, I think my favorite shows growing up were I was obviously partial to all the ABC sitcoms, Three's Company, Happy Days, Laverne and Shirley, uh, all that kind of stuff. But the one that was underrated of that lineup was a show called Soap. Do you remember Soap? Billy Crystal, right? That's right. Him and a, and a big cast. Soap was probably my favorite show growing up. Wow. Okay. I yeah. just have for the next question, two words, Ginger, Marianne. Marianne, um, I, we, I brought up Three's Company. I was also, I was also a Janet person. Uh, WKRP in Cincinnati, I was a Bailey person. So maybe I um, 
tend to go towards the more conservative of the of the two choices almost every time. All right, we do have certain things in common. Yeah, I thought I couldn't. I'm a ginger probably, man, but go ahead. right. But I probably thought I couldn't handle ginger. All right. Um, See, I have the. But I met Tina I, Louise. I met Tina Louise when she was in her like seventies. She's still. She's still got it. She's still. Yeah. I think Jeannie so. was. Jeannie was. Jeannie was the best of all of them. Am I right? Uh, I like Barbara Eden, but I don't know if I rubbed a bottle and she was the one that came out, but I wouldn't uh, throw her out of the bottle if you know what right. I'm saying. All right. Right. Uh, here's a tough one. Your highlight in Hollywood, if you cannot count this show, forget about this show, what's been your biggest Hollywood moment? Um, the thing that I'm like, I did it and I'm like, oh, this is pretty cool. Um, yes, yeah, like I got, that in that I thing. got to, I got to, I got to host Loveline with Dr. Drew, the long running, um, oh, relationship okay. show. And I got to take calls, um, with Dr. Drew of, of lovelorn people at one o'clock in the morning. And that was fun. And that was interesting. And he'd done that show like 18 years at the time and, uh, wow. had not gotten tired of it. And I got to sit in the co-host chair and it was awesome. Wow. That is exciting. Yep. All right. Next question. The movie Spinal Tap, which everything kind of goes wrong on this heavy metal tour, like uh, something like the drum kit. Is there is no down. movie I have seen more than Spinal Tap, by the way. Wow. Then this is a good I question. Owned Go it. Yeah, I owned it in college. I watched it daily. OK, you're my type of guy. The worst title, but one of the greatest uh, movies, any spinal tap moments in podcasting or dating for you, Brian? Um, <laughs> dating. Um, any, uh, well, there's a scene in spinal tap where the, uh, uh, they have this stage prop where there's supposed to be a cocoon and it doesn't open and they have to bring, um, all the roadies in to try and bust him out of there. I think you could make some metaphors and analogies about some dating circumstances with something just like that. Really? Wow. All right. <laughs> I have nothing in that vein. Although, Smell the gloves. Smell the gloves. One of the greatest songs and albums uh, of all time. My, even though I'm interviewing you, my big spinal tap moment was I was in graduate school taking business courses. I liked regular college. You knew the people. You hung out with them in the daytime. But in graduate school, a lot of it was night. You didn't know the people. And I had to do a presentation about a printing shop. And I handed, I've gone through this a thousand times. It was on a carousel. I handed the um, slideshow to this woman I was nervous to begin with, and the first slide was upside down. I couldn't get my composure, and I said to myself, Warren, the next one will be fine, and it'll go smoother. The next one was in backwards. Every one, I should have done it better sequentially and numbered them. Uh, I went into a cold sweat, and eventually I just had to sit down with my hands in my uh, face in that, and it just never went like the drum kit right side up. Yeah, that's very Spinal Tap. Uh, we, my favorite concert, I saw Spinal Tap live at Carnegie Hall. It was about as good as it gets. It was unbelievable. 
Was that the Break the Wind tour or which tour was that? <laughs> I don't know what tour that was. Okay. I saw I saw them. I saw uh, I saw the uh, who's the Mighty Wind tour. Yeah, they opened the for that. The, what, what, wow. the Folksman. Yeah, yeah, they they opened for Spinal Tap. Mm. So it was the same guys. They went off stage and they came back as that. Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, and you know what? I don't know if you agree. I think it's one of the greatest, and a lot of rock bands watch it on the bus when they're on tour. But something about the name, it just doesn't fit. Although the name of the band is Spinal Tap, but they should have come up with possibly something different. Um, I don't know if you agree or not. Well, yeah. Well, I, I talked to uh, the great Norman Lear. I had him on a podcast, and Norman Lear wrote the check to finance Spinal Tap. And I go, I go, what was it about this script, or that made you think like, yeah, I'm going to invest in this? He's like, I did it a fa- I did it as a favor to Rob. Rob, Rob Reiner, who was the director who had never directed before, and he's like, I gave him a million dollars and said, have fun, and it turned into something. That's so, yeah. Rob Reiner, also known Meathead. as Meathead. And a lot of these references in that to baby boomers and that go into Rewind uh, if you have to and Google them in that because a lot of this is interesting stuff. On this final note, put on your podcasting hat, Brian. If you had to support one of these four podcasts... I want to know which one and why. I'm going to read them off. And again, have your podcast hat on. The first one is Building Bridges with Todd Bridges, the former star of Different Strokes. Todd, on his podcasting show, builds bridges, obviously, with different communities. The second like literally show, builds privileges? No. Not metaphorically, like he's hands with... Metaphorically. Oh, metaphorically. Oh, he's bringing people together. So he's not with iron and screws and building a bridge. No, but that's a lot of questions about Todd Bridges. No, but he might just um, bring a hammer in that. You never know with Todd Bridges. But okay, that's one podcast. Another one I just talked about on this show. The title of it is Mr. Ed and Mr. Ned. It's about two podcasting horses who happen to be brothers and we get to see the world through their eyes and hoofs. <laughs> Any questions about that one? Or it's no, I think that's okay. gold. I think that's gold. Yeah. All right. It'd be yeah. tough. To, it'd be tough to top that one. Well, we got two more. Okay. Everything matters to Jerry Mathers, and he was the f- uh, former star of Leave he's It to Beaver. Beaver. I think he's dead, right? No, no. Everyone he's not else, dead. No, sorry, sorry, just, sorry, sorry, Jerry. Um, that does hurt. Tony Dow sadly passed away recently. But, uh, um, sorry, anyway, Jerry Mathers. Let me give yeah. you uh, mm-hmm. the description. The Beaver former star gives advice on everything from financial matters. You'll love this. Love, life, dancing and even had to get out of a soup can that's on a billboard. So that is everything matters to Jerry Mathers. All right. The why last, wouldn't it be everything matters? That's why you are where I am and you are where you are. Why well, I am the podfather. You are. Yeah, everything are. matters. That, there you go. Okay. Right, you already changed and the, the last titles, one. So and the last contestant is, and this is my favorite, Make Room for Warren. World-famous podcaster Warren N. 
takes on the role of Danny Thomas. And each week, something crazy happens leading up to making his podcast. And he even has a son named Rusty. What do you like of these four, Brian? Wait, what was the last one called? Make Room for Warren. Remember, like the, remember like uh, Make the, Room for uh, Daddy was uh, Danny Thomas. Uh, had well, that's show. a little before my time, but fun what? fact, my grandfather's cousin is was Danny Thomas. So somehow he's related to me. I've known you all this time and you've never told me that? Yeah, you know, I told Marlo that. She could not have cared less. Ooh, I just saw a picture of Marlo <laughs> on uh, Facebook. Wow, yeah. she's trying to get on an episode of Phil Donahue as far as the most uh, work on a face. If she were to sneeze or she a rubber band about, came out, oh my God. About 30 years ago, I went yeah. up to Marlo in a restaurant and I told her about our her father and my grandfather and she could not have been less interested. Ooh, that's a shame. All right. Is I'm that like, good? that makes us some kind of cousins oh. did not oh, care at all. Boy. That, yep. Does that hurt make room for Warren or you can put that? <laughs> yeah, aside. it does. It hurts the car. It's too painful okay. for me. I think the, a horse is a horse wins. All right. And would pod populate bank and finance it like uh, Norman Lear? Yeah, you bring, you bring in, you bring in those ponies and I'm ready to roll. Sounds good. <laughs> On a final note, you are the man, Brian. On a final note, Anything you want to say to my thousands to possibly millions of podcast listeners, the mic is yours, Brian. Whatever you want All, to say, let it go. Uh, well, you could take this as love dating relationships or you could take going ahead and doing a podcast or listening to a podcast. All of life's answers live outside of your comfort zone. So go find a yes in the land of no, and then you'll be a lot better off. Ooh, that ranks up with if God took acid, would he see people? But that's a story for another show. <laughs> I want to thank you, Brian. I want to thank my listeners. And as I like to say, God bless Pod Populi. That includes you, Brian. God bless America. God bless my millions of listeners. God bless everyone. And remember, and you could do this too, Brian. Tell 10 people to listen and tell those 10 people to listen and those 10 people to listen. And let me add it up again. 10, a thousand. I think I'll be at my average of 10 listeners per episode. Thank you again, Brian Howie. Let's give him a real baby booming with Warren. Thank you. There you go. You got, you got 10 fingers applauding right there. You said that. I didn't. Thank you. And we'll see you <laughs> All in right. next episode. Thank you. Thank you.